0: Learn more at marines.com. September,
1: 1976. The UK has just experienced one of the hottest summers on record. James Hunt is on his way to becoming the Formula One world champion. And The Muppet Show is just about to premiere on ITV. Meanwhile, Fulham chairman Ernie Clay is eyeing an opportunity. Two seasons previously, club captain Alan Mullery managed to convince England's World Cup winning captain Bobby Moore to leave West Ham for Fulham. His plan? To bring star names to Craven Cottage, attract big crowds and a touch of stardom to West 6 Forward Rodney Marsh would follow, a familiar face to the Fulham faithful. And Clay had yet another big name he wanted to add to the team sheet. And arguably, it didn't get much bigger.
2: Oh, nice dummy by best. Play. And what about that for pass? Inch perfect there by best from and coming in and a. Brilliant goal!
1: Thanks to never before heard audio of Best and first-hand accounts from the people that were lucky enough to witness his short stay at Southwest Six. We aim to retell the story of how one of the greatest players of all time came to play at Craven Cottage. I'm George Cooper, and this is Best at the Cottage.
2: Maybank trying to play it back for Best. Evanson away on the far side. It switches it while everybody expected it to go to that left-hand side. He plays it to Barrett here. A good little crossing on the far side. Five old and new. Well, what a funny old club they must be to support. And now they've up to be the side that came here in sixth place in the table, and are now leading them by five goals tonight. Well, strange things very often happen at Craven Cottage. It's been another good afternoon for them this afternoon, and there's Clayton under pressure.
1: George Best played 42 times for Fulham over two seasons. Although his stay at South West Six was short, he delivered on his promise pre-joining to make football fun again and dazzled the huge crowds that came to watch him play. He certainly left an impression on all that saw him at the cottage. I was actually named after George Best for this very reason. And it is difficult to comprehend just how big a deal it was him coming to Fulham.
0: Best was famous and he was also
1: infamous. Here's to fifth editor, David Lloyd. I asked him, who George Best's modern-day equivalent would be?
0: He was an extraordinarily gifted player, and I was trying to think who you'd compare him to these days. And it's it's a it's a job, you know, it, it, the impishness of a Grealish, possibly, um, but he produced far more. Uh, you have got Ronaldo. You know, you'd have to go into the Ronaldo, Messi area because. He, he, he just was an outstanding player at his peak.
1: By the time Best had joined Fulham, he was a slightly different player physically to the slight jinking winger everyone had grown to love playing for Manchester United. He was slightly more heavy set, had a tan that was a byproduct of. The California lifestyle that he'd become accustomed to playing for the Los Angeles Aztecs, which was his fifth club in two years since leaving Old Trafford. But Best seemed to return to Craven Cottage with an agenda, perhaps with a bit of a point to prove, and made a promise that he was going to entertain the crowds. He was there to make football fun again. John Sim was at Best's first game at the cottage.
3: It was obviously massively exciting. Crowds were probably more than double the kind of average eight or nine thousand. And we had 21,000 for Bristol Rovers and within a minute he'd scored.
4: I'm an entertainer and I've got to give them what they want. I've got to make them laugh. I want to see them walk away from the stadium with smiles on their faces.
1: Journalist Michael Heatley had the pleasure of sitting down with George Best in 1999 at the Fien Arms in Chelsea. In this never-before-heard audio, we hear Best discuss, in his words, his time at Fulham, what drew him to the club, and just share some what you can tell are very fond memories of his time at Fulham.
5: Being a Fulham-related publication, I suppose... We should start by saying, if I said Fulham to you, what would you, you know, what would the word association be? Well, the first thing would be Johnny Haynes probably. <laughs> I think most
6: uh, Fulham fans would think. I just, uh, I just remember the, the early days when we used to go there, packed houses, and some terrific players, yeah, you know, Grand Leggett and George Cohen and people like that. Alan Mulroy. Over the over the years, I've had some terrific players, and of course, the short period I was there with Rodney and, and Miro as well. Uh, brought back for a short while in the good old days, you know, big crowds of cameras were turning up, and uh, it, was, it was exciting for the, for the club. And then, of course, they went into a little bit of a bad spell, didn't they? You know, talk of losing the ground and all sorts of the fans getting together. I went to a couple of the, the fundraising fun- right. functions, and uh, it's just a lovely club, and I know it's always been known as that, and it was always a lovely place to play. Who, who brought you to follow? to were the people that you knew? Did it or was it? Not really. I, I don't know who made the initial contact. because Bobby Campbell was there at the time I was there. But uh, someone had made contact with my team in America because uh, at that time there was no indoor league in America. No. So it meant that it was a short season and then sort of six, seven months doing nothing. So that's when I decided to come back and sort of play all year round. So, But I don't know. Ernie Clay was maybe the one that made it uh, Right. Uh, the initial contact so I've got
5: your like, like someone sent me through a fax of your um, some pages of your autobiography relating to Fulham and it, so it says I thought I'd ask for the world and if Fulham agreed then I'd give it a go so <laughs> <laughs> nice nice attitude to be able to well, well, it, was a, it was a nice
6: day to hide out for everybody yeah yeah, and I'm sure they got their money back the first couple of games absolutely
5: <laughs> well I mean that, that, that's right but was, was, was Rodney part of the deal that you know if you come He'll be there, or was it? No, 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 to... no, we were all separate.
6: So I, uh, I rented a place for a while and then. Uh, I actually bought a place with the signing-on fee that they, they gave me. You to fight a bit for that as well, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> you had to fight for everything in football. Yeah. But it all worked out fine in the end. And, uh, and it was nice for me because it, it got me back into the, in the public eye a little bit because I've been in America. Because I, I was in the States for seven years. So it was a nice way of coming back into the, the game over here.
1: George Best made his debut for Fulham on the 4th of September 1976 and certainly brought the crowds back to Craven Cottage. Fulham who were averaging around 9,000 a game those days packed more than 21,000 fans into Craven Cottage to watch Fulham who were in the 2nd division at the time take on Bristol Rovers. It was a home side that was packed with stars. England's World Cup winning captain Bobby Moore was at the heart of the fence and Rodney Marsh, who had also returned from America, was beginning his second spell at the club. It took Best just 77 seconds to seal the show, scoring the only goal of the game and making a dream start to his spell in south-west London. Here David Lloyd tells us just exactly what that day was like.
0: Well, us us lads were... (laughs) Properly excited, but there were some ladesses. The, the ladies were quite keen on it
1: as well, <laughs> for different reasons, I'd imagine.
0: That was the point. It was best at Craven Cottage, playing for us, not against us. I mean, it was exciting enough when we had the great Man United team down in in the previous years. You just thought, well, what a bloody jamboree to start with. You know, it really was. Uh, well, best is in town, yeah. Well, you know, and then I think it was under two minutes that he scored. And, well, you know, you just think, well, <laughs> that's George Best, isn't it? Uh, you had some
5: great times in your two seasons at Full I was looking back at the, the books, um, I mean, 20, 29,000 against Chelsea and you scored. And uh, I think you scored after sort of a minute in the debut, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and I think you also got sent off in, uh, at Southampton. So there's a few memories for you to look <laughs> back on. What, what sticks?
6: I think, uh, I think the Hereford game. Right. Uh, When we demolished them, Uh, luckily the cameras were there that day. Uh, That was the day Rodney and I tackled each other. But I I think that showed how much everyone was enjoying it. And I just have memories of that match, watching it, watching replays, just seeing the crowd. Everyone was laughing. Even the referee was was laughing. It it was fun.
1: Doing my research on best time at Fulham, there's one game as well as the debut that pops up time and time again and that was his legendary performance a team performance even at home against hereford
2: i can only say that you're in for a great treat in the next hour or so at fulham we saw the best match we've seen this season fulham against hereford united and near the end we even had a bit of fun like this and our best hurdle beautifully over <laughs> took it off rodney marsh marsh coming back to tackle <laughs> him. Those great stars there, Rodney Marsh, George Best, even tackling each other and giving us uh, something else to talk about as we went away from a game that was full of memories. But first of all, let's go down to Craven Cottage in West London for that second division battle between Fulham and Hereford United. And here, in fact, is a glamorous photographer, none other than George Best's girlfriend, Angela MacDonald James, waiting to take shots of the Fulham team coming out. And she won't have to wait long as Alan Slough leads out the side that has really been revitalized by the inclusion of Marsh, And of course that man wearing the number seven shirt, here he comes, George Best, back from America to get everybody talking. Fulham unbeaten since they joined the side earlier in the season in fact, and here with George Best is the Fulham side in operation today. In goal, Miller, a back four of Cutbush, Howe, Moore and Strong. Middle three of Slough, Evanson and Best. And then there's Barrett, Marsh and Mitchell with Bullivant the substitute. But quite apart from George Best, what about uh, the other fella there, Rodney Marsh, the other big attraction in the Fulham side? And not forgetting, indeed, the former England captain, Bobby Moore, as meticulous as ever and a big influence on the side.
1: Whilst Best didn't score against Hereford, his role in the game was pivotal, and him and Marsh stole the show. Here the pair are being interviewed post match.
4: Yeah, it was uh, tremendous, great, you know, especially for the fans. And I think it was nice for Fulham and, you know, for ourselves that the cameras were here as well. I think anyone going away after seeing that, they think either Rodney or I aren't serious about our football, you know, they, they've got to believe it now.
7: Would you say the same, Rod? Well, from my point of view, I just really enjoyed the game. It's probably the most enjoyable game I've ever played in my life. Really? What yeah. made it that? Well, for a start, the crowd got behind us in the, in the second half, after we scored. Scored the, um, the third goal, the header. And from then, I just carried the game, just carried on, in, on a sort of a crest of a wave. It was really great to play in. What was your game, though, tackling each other just before the end? <laughs> well, question is, he's been ignoring me, you see, with his passing. I keep passing to him, he doesn't pass back from me. <laughs> and the only way I can get off is to, to tackle him. Yeah. No, it's all, it's all good fun, Brian. You know? Yeah. It's a little bit of entertainment, I suppose. The thing I was saying earlier was there were so many smiles out
2: there. You, I mean, you were obviously enjoying it. Do you think there's yeah. a, a, too much fun has gone out of the game overall in, in our leagues, Rod?
7: Well, I haven't, I haven't changed my attitude towards the game since I've been playing. I always enjoy my football and I always. Uh, see the funniest of situations. Well, the game's always... all
2: about entertainment, isn't
4: it? I mean, that's, that's the, the whole thing. You know, you want you want people to go away from the games happy. Yeah. I don't want to go and watch games you where know, nothing-nothing scores and you know they're playing defensive football. I'd love to see every every football fan on a Saturday going home with a happy smiling face. You know, that's, 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 the game's all about entertainment.
1: The game's all about entertainment and that's a sentiment that Best and Marsh carried throughout their careers and we've put the highlights to this Hereford game in the description of this podcast and if you've not seen it before you need to watch it it's just utterly joyous it's just two mates just mucking about like tackling each other trying to make the crowd laugh trying to make the ref laugh like there's no pressure on them whatsoever and yes you could argue that they were able to do this because you know they're they were in the twilights of their careers and they were in the second division but it would have just been magnificent to see here's fulham fan john Sim recounting a particularly special performance against Oldham. It was an
3: inc- ridiculously icy pitch. It was like an ice rink on either side of the ground, particularly as it got colder towards the end of the game. I remember Les Barrett kind of speeding down the wing. Incredible that he kept his feet. You know, it wouldn't have been allowed these days. And uh, Man U were playing at uh, QPR that day, and that game was postponed. So... It was weird because the away end was subsequently packed with Man U fans that had come down from uh, Loftus Road <laughs> uh, just to see George Best. And he scored the most ex- one of the most exquisite chips you've ever seen in your life. I and mean, the ball seemed to just hang in the air and kind of hypnotise the keeper and went over his head.
2: And in low towards, well, and here's Best. Now, is this going to be the moment for George Best? There's a little chip! And it's there, by Best! Well, you talk about his football brain. And we saw it to perfection as that move built up and Mitchell was moving into an offside position. And then George Best, when everybody expected a pass, he noticed that the goalkeeper was off his line. And a beautiful chip. Hitting the crossbar and into the back of the net. 1-0 to 4.
1: Best time at Fulham, although short, was littered with iconic moments. Here's David Lloyd recounting a less than glamorous League Cup tie that serves long in the memory. We
0: went to Peterborough and we weren't in fact 100% sure that Best was even going to play, if my memory serves me right. You know, Peterborough away in a League Cup. It's not grandstand stuff, is it, necessarily? You know, we've we've had other more significant games. But Best did play... He received the ball, I don't know, what would you say, 30 yards out, something like that, just as you're approaching the D. Yeah. And, you know, this doesn't work very well in podcasts, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Paint a, a picture. Imagine, imagine guys. Yeah, go on. You're going to have to use your imaginations, but there's this slightly portly best in control of the ball, nicely positioned, but not necessarily in any sort of danger of of doing anything. And you've got these. Lower division centre-backs eagerly saying, well, look, he's an overweight best. Yes, I know he can drop a shoulder, but got him here. And best was likely to get a thumping, wasn't he? Well, actually, no, because um, what he did was just to sort of scoop the ball up with his right foot, casually as you like, belt it, because he he did hit it with a bit of power, but it was a sort of a lob that just went into the top right-hand corner. It just went quiet. And then there was this cheer that was, you know, worthy of a bigger stage. And those two things, you, you know, you, I have to sort of remind myself that I'm not making this up yeah. because this was extraordinary. It just, it went quiet. And then this issue, and that goal was uh, voted as the best ever goal seen at Peterborough by the Peterborough supporters. Wow. And And, and you know, and we were there to watch it.
1: Another iconic victory that Bess played a part in was against their old rivals, Chelsea at Graven Cottage.
3: It was on a good Friday and that was 29,000. And uh, from memory, I think George Best scored a free kick. We beat Chelsea 3-1. Chelsea played in red with uh, green socks, which was weird. But I remember that day, the parking spaces were so limited that we had to park in Parsons Green and walk down to the ground. Wow. Um, yeah, that was, that's the biggest crowd I've been in at Fulham game, but um, yeah, 29,000 and beat the field for Fulham and uh, that was magnificent. But those are my abiding memories of him as a player. We even bought a t-shirt from the club shop as well. The club had uh, <laughs> produced these t-shirts with uh, a kind of image of George Best, and it just said, Georgie gets them going. It was not the most imaginative. It was a luxury, I think. I think that's the best way of describing it. I think it was a kind of glorious luxury for a couple of seasons to have George Best in black and white. And uh, there were some lovely moments. And he still had it. you You just have to look at that chip against Alder.
1: He still had it. And Fulham were the last club to really experience that George Best magic. Here's Michael Heatley talking to George about his fitness coming into the club. And you can sense that he still has that hunger, that drive, that desire to play football at a top level.
5: When you came to Fulham, obviously, it was later on in, in your career. And I say this to somebody who played in a charity match last uh, May, and I think I'm still recovering from it. <laughs> I, and it was at the cottage, actually, which was great. But, you know, I thought I could do a lot more than my body would let me do. There's a line in the song, yeah. Your mind makes a promise that your body can't fill. <laughs> when you were playing for Fulham, did you feel that you could still pull out the trick, you know, the tricks that you had in the bag, or did you modify your game so that you said, "Well, I, you know, I know I can do this, but I'll leave that one out"? Um, no, I went for it. I think uh, those couple of seasons at Fulham, I, I think I was really fit.
6: Uh, I trained hard. Uh, I loved the games, and. Uh, and still wanted the ball. every time someone got it I wanted? It. You ask, <laughs> Les, if you watch the Hereford game again with Les Strong, uh, he never had more than two touches when the ball was in because <laughs> I, I wanted it off. <laughs> so I was always hungry and I went looking for it. I think it showed as well when I had the car crash. Uh, it was during the season and they told me I'd be out for a long time because I, I broke my shoulder and, and one side of my face was paralyzed for a while so I couldn't <laughs> it was weird because I couldn't feel it when I was heading a ball. Not that I had it too many. But uh, because I was fit and I'd I'd been looking after myself, uh, they were talking about maybe three months. And I made my mind up that I was, um, I don't know how long it was, but it was only, it was maybe four weeks I was back instead of three months. So if I hadn't been fit, I I wouldn't have been able to do that.
3: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Not only was he one of the greatest footballers and most naturally skillful and elegant players that ever played the game, he was also so charismatic and funny and sharp. I think you don't really get to see that side of many footballers today because they're also media trained and they're told what they can and can't say. Whereas George had character and he liked to party. And because of this nature, there are lots of very funny stories about him that are floating around this one in particular made me laugh from David about <laughs> the friendship between him and Les Strong
0: I did two years on the Manchester United programme as sub-editor okay. and Fulham Fulham wouldn't have me so Man United did I was asked at one point because Fulham were up in the Premier League at that time if I could give a guide for a, a former Fulham player for their one page um, opposition piece and you could just see the eyes and the, uh, the glaze and the eyebrows go up when I said, oh, I've got the Strong's number. He knew Georgie best. <laughs> you know, they think, oh, we've, here we go again. We've, you know, we've we've heard this uh, I don't know how many times before. So uh, the thing that got them interested was that Bestie, when he was... Heading off to America, said he asked Strong if he'd look after his dog. And he said it'll only be but for a week or so. So he said, Fine, but it was years I think that he had this dog. <laughs> and that was the story that got them interested in Les Strong being a you know, a genuine friend, not not a I met him once and became a friend for life. This was um you know, he had his dog for goodness knows how long, and bestie suddenly turned up to pick up his dog or quite a few years later, and Strong he just sort of shrugged his shoulders as if nothing else um, had happened in that in the intervening years and just sort of said, well, I think you owe me a meal. <laughs> While I was at, at
3: Sky Sports, I dealt with him and his agent and his uh, then girlfriend a fair bit. And he was a really shy, humble bloke. And amongst the Soccer Saturday team, the Rodney Marsh, Frank McClintock, it was kind of pre-Matt The Tears and those guys. He was just one of the lads, you know. And um, during that period, he actually did have a liver transplant. I don't know if you remember that.
1: Yeah. Um, I, he I, did
3: I... need a liver transplant. Um, but he subsequently was ill again and, and, and passed away because of that, really. But I just remember him being a particularly shy, humble, pleasant guy to deal with, to be honest.
5: Well, a couple of wacky things to, to finish with. On your passport, what does it say for your occupation, What do you believe? Football advisor, that's what it put in. Okay.
6: So what, what have you got in your pockets at the moment? Uh, cheap machine. I'm a fanatical crossword puzzle, especially like cryptic. Oh, a, we call it the cheap machine. It's just oh, for, okay. for the spelling. So I usually carry that around with me because I do all the crosswords every day in most of the papers or attempt to do them. And money, I always carry loose money. I don't have a wallet. Where do you consider home these days? Uh, London, Illinois. When it comes to it, and hopefully not too soon, what music would you have played at your funeral? Um Yeah, at the moment, the one I'd pick at the moment would be Brown Eyed Girl.
5: All right, I, went the,
6: I went to see him last week. Yeah. He called me up, he was doing a show in Olympia and I was, it was and I, I was working for Sky that day. So I went to see him at the Hilton and uh, a few drinks went before the show and then we went backstage and watched the show and then we went back to the hotel with him. Alex asked him why he had not because she's got really brown eyes I mean, beautiful brown eyes so she, she asked why he had not played it and he said oh, I only owe that for money so <laughs> I don't play <laughs> so I'd never be that you know.
1: George Best passed away on the 25th of November 2005 aged only 59 one of his last wishes was for people to remember me for my football few who witnessed his brief but brilliant spell at Fulham, could ever forget. But it was just
0: extraordinary a, to have him there. But the fact that um, he enjoyed himself there, yeah, and he he was such a genial guy as well. Until the demons and the the drink and all of that got. But I really would prefer just to focus on the um, on the good times, and there were thankfully plenty of those.
2: Hurdle beautifully over, <laughs> <laughs> took it off Rodney Marsh, Marsh coming back to tackle <laughs> here. Another smile, and they're cooking up something. Well, the goalie will want a clear view of this, you can take my word for it. Best and Marsh will be cooking up something, and it almost came off in an unexpected way.
4: I know that at the end of it all that people remember me first and foremost for what I could do on the field and remember people still say to me oh I remember that day and uh, hopefully they'll, they'll always remember the football side of it and and why the crowds came.
1: Best at the Cottage was a footwork media production hosted and produced by me George Cooper. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Michael Heatley for letting us use the audio that you heard never before heard audio of his hour spent with George Best I'd also like to thank David Lloyd and John Sim for their contributions Freddie Cooper for sourcing some of that archive that you heard and Sammy James for his production support also if you want to hear more stories of Fulham from David Lloyd and let me tell you there are many may we recommend his book there's only one f in fulham 30 years and more of fulham fc and two fifth the perfect stocking filler for that fulham fan your family and that's available via ashwaterpress.co.uk or amazon thank you so much for listening hope you enjoyed